So, hello, and welcome to My Dollarama's Top Picks. I'm Coco Green, armchair critic and aspiring academic, with my co-host, Abla Candeloft, film programmer, journalist, and researcher. In Top Picks, we discuss marginalization, resistance, and some of the isms in drama, documentary, mystery, and independent films and series. Now in its 11th year, My Die champions independent film and in using the medium as a platform for underrepresented and oft-ignored voices. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at My Dollarama. And if you like what we do, you can like us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, short link, mydie.link forward slash Apple, or Spotify, mydie.link forward slash Spotify, and support us with either a one-time or monthly donation at mydie.link slash donate. Finally, you can subscribe to our newsletter at mydie.link forward slash subscribe. Okay, so the Dave Chappelle show, that's not what it's called. I've already got that wrong, haven't I? The Closer that's it so it's dave Chappelle's netflix comedy special the closer yeah so i wasn't that familiar with his work to be fair i only saw a couple of stand-ups that he did but i don't really know that much about his career as a stand-up comedian or um as a writer so you're probably more informed about his background right uh that's racist no no it's because you, re- I mean, you recommended no, watching it not because <laughs> I, I watch. I did not watch the Dave Chappelle show, although I did <laughs> like the skits from Charlie Murphy. You see, I don't know who so that Charlie... is. There you go. You're American and you recommend watching. That's why I thought you'll be more clued up. <laughs> Whatever stories you need to tell yourself. So Dave Chappelle had a show and he was known because I did know about the controversy controversy of that show, which was that he was doing a skit, and I want to say it was a skit in blackface. I can't remember exactly, but at any rate, he didn't think that his audience, who I believe is predominantly white, was laughing with him. He thought it was not, the joke was not being taken in the way that he intended. He was in blackface? So, I believe so. But now I can't remember, to be fair. Um, but it was something along those lines. So... He turned down a contract because he had a $40 million contract that he was set to sign to extend Chappelle's show, yeah. which he did not sign. And of course, he was dragged through the media. They're like, he's crazy. He's had a nervous breakdown, this and that, which wasn't the case. He just decided it wasn't worth it. Right. Yeah, I haven't followed him. any of that. So... Then, since then, there has been some issues over ownership of his show and not getting paid, which I'm not too familiar with. And then he's been doing the Netflix comedy specials. Right. Okay. Which I'm sure he makes an obscene amount of money from. So because I wasn't a Chappelle friend, I have a friend who was very disturbed by that. And she did take me to see Dave Chappelle at Hammersmith, which I really enjoyed. Oh, oh, in London? Yeah. Okay. This was like five years ago. So I did really enjoy that. Even so, I still didn't watch any of the comedy specials on Netflix. I wasn't so inclined to do that. However, I thought it would be a good idea to watch this one, given the controversy, because I did, I wasn't aware. I mean, he did make a trans joke at Hammersmith, but I cannot remember what the joke was. But I do remember that somebody walked out. Oh, right. Okay. But I didn't think too much about it. So, yeah. So I thought it'd be an opportunity for us to actually watch it and 
discuss what the controversy is coming from, you know, looking through a racial lens, which I think is part of some of the criticism I saw to Dave Chappelle saying that he's transphobic, but not engaging in his critique around whiteness and the LGBTQ right. I plus community, which I think is an important one. And I'm not saying, of course, anyone would have to agree with Dave Chappelle, but I think you certainly have to respond at least instead of steering the conversation to say, well, you can't, because that was really the only criticism that I read that responded to race saying, well, you can't say race when there's black transgender people, which I think is not engaging in that discussion. Yeah. And saying what is, you know, what is whiteness? Who's included in whiteness? How do you become white? And then what does that mean? Because he said some important things around in critiquing white people and whiteness, including trans people under that. And it is about the power dynamic. So that is the intro to that of why we decided to, why I suggested that we watch it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you see, I didn't even know about any of that background. I think the only thing I knew of him, this is embarrassing. I didn't know who he was. And I thought, and this is because I got mixed up with the names, that he was a music producer because there is a music producer or a music video director called something very similar, right? I I have no idea who that is. Again, this is basing it on not having Googled either of them, not knowing what they look like. There we go. That's it. That's it. So there is, <laughs> there is a um, music video director called David LaChapelle, and I thought that was the same guy. Um, so when it came up, his stand up came up when um, I was with a friend, and we were talking about the old um, Eddie Murphy stand up shows, and he said, "Oh, have you seen any of Dave, Dave Chappelle's stuff?" I I thought the music video director moonlights as a stand-up comedian turns out not at all um not the same man he's a photographer right so this is how clueless i was i watched a couple of um things on youtube which i thought were very funny um and i think they're from what yeah five ten years ago and that's it and then the net from the netflix show yeah, it's hard to know how kind of sincere or earnest he was about certain things. But also you say he his audience is predominantly white. So why is that? Who is his, who is his audience? I would say there is a substantial black following, but having a black, I shouldn't say following audience would not be enough to put you at Dave Chappelle's level. That's just not possible, right? So you have to just like Bill Cosby, right? Bill Cosby, yes, black people supported him. Yeah. But he only became, reached his heights because he had a white audience, right? Right, okay. Yeah, so I'm sure white liberal. Yeah. White left, but yeah, white audience nonetheless. Vaguely, I didn't want to read too much into it, so um, before kind of watching it, but I saw he was also accused of uh, misogyny. Now, as you know, I'm very sensitive to that, (laughs) those issues and... um, I'm a staunch defender of uh, women and women's rights, but I didn't. And I'm not. <laughs> let's be clear. I am not. But I didn't. You see, I did. I wasn't offended in that respect. I didn't find. I'm not sure what that was based on. I think he was very tongue in cheek and provocative. It was that kind of humor where I don't think it's uh, harmful. Do you see what I mean? 
Well, how are you assessing that though? So to you, what would be considered misogyny in comedy? That's a really good question. I wish I'd researched that now. (laughs) Um, I don't know enough about him as a person. So my uh, argument isn't very well founded. But I often give the example of someone like Frankie Boyle, the comedian. I really like Frankie Boyle. I love his sense of humour. He has said some things that I have found offensive, but, but I still think because of who he is as a person because of his politics because of he's the because of where um how he perceives uh power and that's where how i can read his humor so sometimes it comes across as a bit offensive but that's not what it's meant to be he's he's mocking the system these things operate in i know where he stands as a person well, but the the thing about Dave Chappelle, which I so he did, as I believe you're referencing, he did have a joke about some woman who followed, <laughs> which I thought was funny. He said he was going to put her in the trunk of his car, which I thought was really funny. Uh, but it did re- make me think of a couple things. So first, let's start with his joke, right? That it was about a criticism around the should we call it the Time's Up movement, the Me Too movement, the co-opted Me Too movement? That might be the better way to say it, the co-opted Me Too movement. And talking about how people were invested in the symbolism and not really shifting power, which really was the joke. Yes. So it was saying, you know, you wore the hats. People, as we recall from the PR of the march, the Women's March that they had, it was about, oh, look, we didn't have any problems with the police oh, look, you know, it's very peaceful. Look how peaceful women are. And the outfits, and of course there were counter-protesters too. I remember one of the good, one of the better signs that I saw was this woman who said, don't forget, white women elected Trump. It's like, finally, someone said it. And she went out there with the sign. I would never have done that. But she was like, yeah, let's make sure I get in a photo. Let's make sure that the any women there, not just the black women in attendance, but any woman woman who's in attendance needs to recognize that and have yeah. a real discussion about white women's politics and not just this, again, back to the PR of the movement that it's like this left, con- strong left contingent of white women, which I'm not sure exists apart from white men and apart from whiteness. And he made the joke that, you know, if you really want to change things, yeah. find some woman at the bottom of the totem pole and make her your manager. Yeah, that's, that's as opposed it. to, yeah, as opposed to focusing on representation alone. So I don't know. I'm guessing that the misogyny would come from his use of the B word. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he has stripper jokes and sex jokes. But like you're saying, I'm not, I'm not sure if I would classify that as misogyny, but I think also his critique of the women's movement was his broader thesis, if you will, of whiteness yeah. and white people. And that's and that's, that's that how means. I read it. <clears throat> that's mm-hmm. why the critique was, for me, well-placed. And the rest of it about strippers and so on, in a vacuum, yes, I could see, I, I, I would consider them sexist because they they... Vehiculate uh, an image of they circulate an image of of women, etc. That I don't think is very helpful. But again, it's who's saying this and what is the ultimate aim? His main critique is about is about power. That's the thing. It's about who holds power. And he, yeah, he's he's focused. <laughs> yeah, it's not about dynamics. objectifying. Yeah, 
yeah it's not about objectifying women and the other thing about it too right is also a critique of feminism i think in terms of their focus on rape and sexual violence and not being serious about labor which is something i hadn't considered to be fair Um, yeah because if you know if we see who was scapegoated in that it's like wait a second we all know the whole system is corrupt so why all of a sudden is it over now that a couple people went to jail and a few people lost their careers like who cares that that but it was because it was that like let's weed out the predators that we know of we have evidence we have people who will come out and speak against but not about labor as a whole who gets work who gets to represent what's the old boys network are we interested in dismantling it or just diversifying it <laughs> so yeah like we're fine to have the network as long as i can be plugged into and it. for me that's the bigger f- i'm going to segue a tiny bit because I, i'd like ju- i just want to see what you think but I kind of felt the same way about now this is a very contentious issue um, and I'm definitely happy to see how other people view it but accents for example mocking accents or no it's not mocking it's for you know certain comedians who uh, or people who might mimic the voice or accent of someone from say, an African country, right? And it's something that's become very, very taboo. Where I'm uncomfortable is that the same people that will cancel someone who does that will have absolutely no issue with, say, supporting, uh, you know, foreign intervention intervention in that country, for example, um, exploiting that country's resources. So it, we, I feel like those kind of gimmicks make us lose the bigger issue of how power operates on a much grander scale. So No, I agree with that. And if anything, I thought about that during the research around the controversy. Like it's easy to go after Dave Chappelle and not go after politicians. Like it's easy to make the fight around representation in the entertainment industry so that you don't have to have a political struggle. Where is it what's the quote around politics? Like politics is war without the weapons and yeah. people don't want that fight so instead the target is dave chappelle and that was i think the another question i was asking as i was looking like is dave chappelle really promoting because that is the link that some of the i would say more read mm-hmm. editorials talked about that the jokes aren't innocuous the the jokes are what feed transphobic violence and i just thought that was a leap I'm going to need you to make a broader connection between that because how could that the jokes play a bigger role than the actual material conditions, the lack of welfare, the lack of um, which I think is all a reflection, right? If you are going to be marginalized in society, of course, you're going to see that reflection in levels of violence, death, illness, right? Like that's that's all a repercussion of that. And I'm just not sure that comedy is what feeds that uh like yeah i don't think i don't think the jokes make people more comfortable with seeing transgender people die i think that that's rooted in yeah i think that's rooted in political struggle which he also referenced saying that he respects the stonewall gays right (laughs) he wants the gangster stonewalls but it's important to think about what was the stonewall struggle versus the movement you see today and there is a difference. I'm not saying one is better than another, but I think we could all certainly argue that Stonewall was about 
power money yeah politics stonewall was like a you know an uprising against police violence but also the broader political yeah the broader political struggle yeah that's at that time yeah and the fact that he sides with that that he uh is so vocal about about those power power dynamics immediately for me that's that kind of announces where he stands politically so that it takes the heat off what he's saying. Do you see what I mean? So I'm I'm not, I don't find what he's saying harmful in that context because I think, right, that's someone, that's where he stands. I'll, I'll take the jokes with a pinch of salt. But I, I don't know if I'm right in thinking that. I mean, that's that's how instinctively I would react. But maybe you could argue that actually the more jokes, however funny you make, the more they contribute to um, people's uh, perceptions of a certain group and therefore ultimately um, pave the way for their persecution. Yeah, I mean, I would say no. Although, yeah, I don't think I'd agree with that, but it does remind me there is the thesis, right, that comedy is the last place for politics, where you can have politics so that, yeah, the jokes are a political statement. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think that can be true, certainly. Even if you look at how comedy works now, it's not so much about laughing, people applause, right, when they agree with something. Like you may, ha ha, but you're more in agreement with the belief as opposed to hysterical laughing, which yeah. isn't to say there are those two. I found this really funny. Well, I thought it was funny. Did I send that to you? The, the clip about the man talking about, oh man, what did he talk about? It was it was something about, now I have to look it up because I sent it to my friend Kevin. He was just like, I can't laugh at this because this is, this is, basically he said it was misogynist. I was like, I didn't think it was, but he's like, no, I'm really sensitive to these things. But you know, he took women's studies class. I never did. <laughs> so I'm sure there's some theory I'm missing, but I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. Ah, yes, it was women are the worst storytellers. I thought that was I so that, true. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was hysterically laughing, but I didn't think the political statement was about because women are the worst storytellers. This is why we can build, feel comfortable keeping them out of management roles. Yeah, no. that's it. Like, I think it was about difference. And I don't see, for me, I don't see anything wrong with difference. Just because you're different doesn't mean it's substandard or less equal. Mm-hmm. Things can be different. And in my experience, women are really horrible. Like there's backstories within backstories that you're just like, why can't you wrap it up in 10 minutes? And we all know I love to tell stories. I work hard to keep it succinct. So again, not true about all women, but I think there is a trend there. And I thought it was really funny. But yeah, no, this is what he said. This is what Kevin's response was. He said, I don't know. As a sociologist, I started thinking about patriarchies quote unquote women more ra- m- women more emotional men more rational unquote dichotomy but you see i, so I then said, i think I well, he's got a point supporting- you have a point and he's got a point there but see i don't think you being a bad storyteller makes you <laughs> emotional no but it, it was but about it, it, the it, detail like the level of detail true. and the information you think people need to come to a conclusion so it's not about being emotional no but anything, he has a point a form of rationality he has a point in the sense that it, it, it kind of portrays an inability to think succinctly therefore therefore women are more um susceptible to have having their emotions kind of spill out into their discourse and it it plays into I totally a certain image. I disagree with that. Now, I do think that that is a stereotype. 
I also, though, think that both genders present facts that are opinions, right? Yeah. But I don't think that, to me, that wasn't the joke. To me, it wasn't about who gives opinions or facts. It was about how people give you information so that you can reach a conclusion. And that has been my experience, that men won't give you that much because they don't think you need it. They're like, surely you know enough about the world to understand what I mean. And I just don't think women do that. They're just like, no, let me clarify and explain how this happened, how that happened, how we got to this point. It's going to take you a while to get there just so that you have a context to get what they're saying. So I don't think it makes you emotional or less rational. I think that is a form of rationality that I think women tend to not exclusively do. But that's just my experience. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't say that as a fact of life, but it resonated with me because that's true. But then it's also true that I know more women than men. So it's not as if I'm even assessing that based on, oh, I know this, no, no. No, but cliches are always based on some element of of reality. They're based on on personal experience. So But but it is about the analysis. So I would never analyze that as saying women. I don't think that's a rearticulation of emotional women. That isn't how I heard it. However, someone else can have a different point of view. And for him, that was absolutely a rearticulation of the stereotype. But I think on the whole, it's interesting that it sparks that kind of discussion. And I think ultimately what needs to happen is, is for people to just be well informed and educated. That's how you can have these sorts of discussions. Oh, Lord, let's not say educated. Educated people are the worst. Okay, I d- not, that's say, maybe not what I... <laughs> let's say informed. informed. Yeah, let's say informed. informed. I do like that. Yeah, yeah. and not lose like power of the informed. bigger picture. Yeah. That's it. So that things like that are taken with the levity that they kind of deserve. And we can open discussions around them without kind of becoming completely hysterical and using them as a focal point of of political discourse instead of you know the actual issues of women being you know underpaid and and abused and etc but this is the discussion right the question is what do you think is the root cause did you remember when we reviewed that film what was it called the chicago eight was that the name of the film we reviewed i'm gonna look it up and it was on Netflix. It's not Midnight in Miami, is it? No. Uh, <laughs> okay. So it was the trial of, Ch- of oh, the yeah, Chicago of 7, 2020. Yes. We talked about that. We did. And that was the discussion between two of the characters, right? Is it a culture war or is it a political war? Yes. And to me, that plays out here, depending on how you see Dave Chappelle. If you think it's a political war. Now, I'm certainly one to think it's 80% politics because I think out of the politics comes the culture because I think you can change the culture, but it doesn't mean you'll change the politics. And to me, if we look at what came out of the 60s, that proved to be true. Yeah, people changed some of their mores, but it didn't change white supremacy. Yeah, exactly. Fundamentally. Yeah, and that's that's the issue. I'm more inclined to think it's a cult. It's political and out of the political comes the cultural but it doesn't mean that the culture isn't important because i do think that that is how the left loses Mm -hmm. and i told you that like many times i think we've even maybe said on the podcast they can't tell stories they're horrible (laughs) i mean and i and you think how especially all of the the propaganda around hollywood being so 
liberal but is it because when you look at the stories that come out of it not really nevertheless i think that's how anyone who wants to create social change you've got to have the stories that is crucial that is important but stories for the purpose of political warfare not culture for the sense of culture and to me i think people who wage these culture wars that's where they get lost in my opinion because then it becomes culture for culture for representation so you can see yourself in the world. It's like, no, yeah. <laughs> that with it, why? And that's why I, what I mean by want... we lose sight of what's important, what's at the root of it. Mm, yeah, no, I absolutely think that. Well, I mean, it goes um, it goes to this, right? There's also the, the issue which keeps, you know, the critique of Dave Chappelle about punching down. So the question becomes, can black comics make jokes about the LGBTQ plus community? Well, again, it's what the intention is. Anyone should be able to make jokes about anyone else, but it's how, it's what the intention is. When when you say punching down, are you basically making f- fun of people who are already very powerless in society and therefore somewhere contributing to them remaining that way? I think that's the question. I, I personally didn't perceive it in his comedy, but again, I... I think though, see... That's the thing. I don't know if I even agree with the concept around punching down because and this suppose goes to the discussion around oppression Olympics, which I also reject that concept. Yeah, because I think in the U.S. the fact of the matter is it is a racialized society. So as I've been clear about before, I am not an intersectionality advocate proponent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I don't, and, and, you know, because everything depends on the context. And I don't think intersectionality, I think that's an identity. I don't think mm-hmm. that's a social position. But black is a social position. Yeah. And I think that if we think about LGBTQ and representation, like who is even at the top of that? Who dominates the discussion? Who dominates the organization? Who's doing well? And you see that that's along racial lines. And that's just, I mean, even, so I was looking up when that was the criticism that the comedy feeds transgender violence. I thought, well, let me look up exactly what transgender violence, what those stats are. Now, just to be very clear, any loss of life is a tragedy. And I know that family and friends of people who are lost could care less if it was one person that year or a thousand person because it's the person they love. I totally get that. I do still think, though, that we've got to look at numbers just so we're clear about what we're talking about. So there was this very, and I must say, not only was it well done in terms of formatting, but there is a lovely report, let me pull it up, that comes out every year that gives a profile for every murdered transgender person. And it is from, ah, from the HRC. And there is a report called the Fatal Violence Report. Now, interestingly, and I'm not sure why, and I did calculate it, but now I don't have the number in front of me. What the HRC, which is the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, did not do was give you the rate and the context. So they gave the, and they called it an epidemic in terms of the fatal violence against transgender and gender non-conforming people. They didn't give you the rate, which I think would have helped. However, the stigma, which is 
the cultural market marginalization and visibility, the lack of family acceptance and a hostile political climate is only one part of a much bigger picture of barriers to opportunities and increased risk factors. Now, of course, just because you fall into a risk group, I would never imply that you deserve to die. It does mean that there are factors that contribute to the violence you are experiencing that has nothing to do with stigma and I think more to do with the material condition. So they talk here about education, employment discrimination, exclusion from healthcare and social services, barriers to legal identification, policing, criminalization, and barriers for immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. Which, of course, puts you in a position where you experience poverty, homelessness, survival, sex, sex work, and the big one, intimate partner violence, which interestingly was not really brought up in the editorials I read criticizing Dave Chappelle. So what they do in this report is they give a profile for every single person and it's like in memoriam of the death. But they didn't really tell you, like they didn't give numbers around how people died because surely when you think of that, right, you think of violence, you think of a hate crime. Yeah. These aren't hate crimes, it doesn't seem. It seems like, of course, society failed in that it is not providing access to education, employment, housing, right. it's like safety, UK, security, yeah. stability. And because of that, people are at higher risk for violence. So the thing they have in common really is, is poverty. No, exactly. And I think that to me, that's like, that's makes sense in their whole theory of how this happens. Um, And even then, I mean, the only number they give here, right, that I think means anything, is black transgender women compromise, ah, comprise 66% of all victims of fatal violence. So that says something. Is that not then a story of race? Yeah. I mean, because surely they're not 66% of all transgender women. I mean, if we went by population, they're 13 at best. And of course, the question would be in terms of comparing that violence to the broader black community along gender lines, right? So including transgender men, women, men, children, Mm -hmm. right? Of all genders. And to me, that that is the story that that tells. But if we want to stick with their story, right? We're talking about transgender violence. Even with this, they're not talking about how they died, which, you know, it says a lot if you are caught in. I'm sure the research is there, but conveniently, no one shared it to say how much can they attribute to the stigma versus the material conditions? Because you don't see these numbers everywhere, right? So it's like, so I think bigger factor in your life would be race in the U.S. anyway. I mean, I would argue because I'm thinking of in terms of material conditions and I don't think I think being black would put you at the bottom of that. But being white LGBTQ, I don't think materially puts you in terms of your income wealth. No. And I think, you know, what I learned from you was the extent to which um, the U.S. is divided along racial lines is to a much bigger extent than say the uk which is 
there yeah. is also endemic racism, but the um, the class divide is much sharper here. I think really it's poverty that you know pins you in your position more than race, even though they are intertwined. The, well, that is true, but I mean, I think in the UK, what you have to look at is how how long where have black people been in the country to build that kind of fortune? Because like you're saying, when you're talking about wealthy families in the UK, they have a long legacy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think the question you would have to, like, so I don't even know if it's a fair comparison to compare, you know, let's say Jamaicans with English, like you have to compare Jamaicans to Italians, something like that. So you can look at what does whiteness do for you? Because we also know that in the UK, being Italian and Spanish, Polish, that is not the same as being English. Where in the U.S. it would be yeah. because it'd be considered white migrants. But and no, everyone's a migrant. in the U.K. that is not how that works. Yeah. Because cultural, like you said, it is class and cultural capital play different roles mm-hmm. in dividing society. It's not racialized in the same way. Yeah. Like racialization happens, but it's not that thing where, okay, because you are black, you have to live in this part of town, which of course came clear for me when I saw the play Small Island, because in the end of the play, spoiler alert, it's a play in a book, that they move, someone has inherited a house Mm -hmm. and this Jamaican family moves to a leafy suburb. Could not happen in the US in the 40s. (laughs) In fact, it probably couldn't happen now, truth be told. And that says something, which isn't to say because we know that there was the racism, you were kept at a certain job, we know all of that happened. It's still, I only found one researcher and I hope that she does it again. I've always dreamed about reaching out to her to say, wow, can we fundraise to get this research done? Is she broke down the wealth by race and class. And this, there just isn't the racial wealth gap that exists in the U. Yeah, that's the thing. In the U.S., we really should say a a racial wealth gulf, like a racial wealth divide. It's like going to take 200 years, over 200 years to catch up. But it's really worse than that because we all know that there is going to be the greatest wealth transfer ever in the world, ever in the next 20 years in the U.S., and that's white money. Okay, let's be very clear. That's not there's no such thing as black money. So that's all white money. So we're about to get a whole lot worse. But in the UK, you do not see that because we know people make less yeah. money, yeah, right? Number yeah. one. And in terms of home ownership, which in the UK is the main way that working class and middle class families have acquired any wealth, you are not yeah. shut out of that by race. Now, it is true. I believe for business loans, black people are struggling and they cannot get that, mm-hmm. which is a big problem. And so the divide is there, but it is not like the U.S. And I think I was really disappointed to see black British people referencing. And I haven't seen that recently, but it was, you know, years ago. They're talking about the racial wealth gap and referencing stuff from the U.S. Like that doesn't exist here. And I know the only person is Rawlingson who's written something about that. And her data is like a decade old, but it wasn't huge. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask the question, well, is this, you know, if you compare black people to other migrant groups because they broke it out by Indian, Pakistan, Africa, Caribbean, black Africa and Caribbean weren't at the bottom. So now you have to explain that. Okay. How are Pakistani people doing worse than you if black people are at the bottom? So, yeah, so that's that, but it's, you know, even with the intent though. So I think it's, it's still, if we're talking about if black comics can make jokes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
is then the argument then that only because to me what I see is if you say only LGBTQ people from the LGBTQ plus community can make jokes about themselves, but can they make them the same joke about themselves or what joke then is allowed? Yeah. And is comedy a place where we cannot be critical of ourselves and point out the contradictions? Because one of Dave Chappelle's jokes, right, where he talked about he's <laughs> going to get into a fight with this white gay man is that the white gay man called the police. Yeah. And yeah. thinking about that, like who has access? And that's been also a criticism of white women. Like you can call the police. So that mm-hmm. makes us different. You have state violence behind you. I'll never have state violence behind no. me. And that makes the power always unequal, always different. So then that becomes the question, like is who who still has the power there? And is that then the argument that only black LGBTQ plus people can talk about racism in that community? Uh, it's it, it's a it's a tough one, but it comes down to power basically. That's it. Um, and again, this is the example I had with Frankie Boyle. He he made one joke that I thought was out was out of order about um, a celebrity. It was years and years ago, and I did think that was cruel because it his intention wasn't bad, but I but it's still hurtful. It was still hurtful for her to hear that. Um, he also made, I mean, it's awful. He made a joke about a famous person's looks, for example. And I laughed because I thought it was hilarious and it was quite accurate. But if I was that celebrity, I'd have, I'd have, it would have really hurt me. So I don't. Oh, please. It's like Liberace. I'm laughing all the way to the bank. And Little <laughs> Richard said something similar. I, I probably should have referenced Little Richard. Um, he said something <laughs> similar to that. Like, they'll call me a rich sissy. Call me a sissy if you want to. And I think that's where I'm at with it. It's like, but Dave Chappelle also talked about that, which is another question. Like, are hurt feelings worth more, right, than anything else? Because if we, and we'll take the argument off the table that these jokes is, fuels the stigma that leads to transphobic violence. We'll take that Mm -hmm. argument off the table and just say it is about individual people feeling stigmatized because as we talked about it's interpretation. So it's possible you can have a trans person listen to these jokes and think it's funny and doesn't see a problem with it. And then you can have other trans people who think it is detrimental to make these jokes. So if we are to say that it is about hurt feelings, then how, what kind of currency should that have? Right. But on the whole, it's uh, it's an interesting discussion that it sparks. And I think it's worth, it's worth having that. Well, for me, it's down to that, right? Like, what do you think is more important, the culture war or the political war? And I'm my concern, though, is thinking that celebrities have more power than they do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is more important, the culture war or the political war? And who you think has yeah. the power to generate propaganda? And I'm just not sure that Dave Chappelle has that kind of propaganda making power. I think it's a nice open ended way to leave it. You know how you're going to interpret these jokes. How you, if if or not you're going to find them offensive, etc. I think that's quite an interesting point to end it on. Um, okay, well we can talk about past. Yeah, you had your point pretty much made last time we spoke. <laughs> <laughs>
So. Um, oh, about passing. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what did you think? I, I didn't quite. I mean, I suppose the only interesting thing that came out for me was I never. Oh, well, actually, we should probably read the, um, the synopsis to passing. Hang on. So about passing 2021, Irene Redfield, a refined upper class 1920s woman, finds breezy refuge from a hot summer day in the grand tea room of New York City's Drayton Hotel. Across the room, she spots a blonde woman staring her down. That's not it, for God's sakes. That's horrible. Hang on, let me go to the website. (laughs) Okay. In 1920s New York City, a black woman finds her world upended when her life becomes intertwined with a former childhood friend whose passing is white. So, yeah, so what did you uh, think? Well, I should first of all say I haven't actually read the book. So I feel like because I was conscious that I hadn't read the book... Uh, and because we talked about it before, I went in already with a bias. Well, the book isn't that long. So both of her, Nella Larson's work, I've read, you know, as we know, I'm really into Harlem Renaissance stuff, or I was as a young person. So I've read Passing and Quicksand. Um, years ago, though, not recently. But it's one of, they're both, I really like them both a lot, especially Passing. And I was reluctant to watch this because I thought if it ruins, it's just when you have books that you hold near and dear and you imagine how it would be, and then you're like, ah, if they ruin it in the film, I'm going to be really pissed off. Which often happens. So did it live up to expectations? Well, I had low expectations. Well, to be so, fair, yeah. yes. <laughs> I just couldn't. It was a struggle to get past. Like, I liked the acting. I liked, you know, the way the film was shot. I, it was a struggle, though, to get past these women who don't in any... I don't know what multiverse they are passing as white. I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, visually, that made it very hard. Perhaps if this had been on BBC4 radio, maybe that's where they should have kept it. And we could have imagined it. Um, yeah. But neither of these women were passing as in New York. And there aren't that many black people there anyway. Nah. No, I mean, I almost see the other end of that, though. There aren't that many black people, so the light-skinned ones can pass. But you, you would have to be not looking like them. This scene where um, the husband... Claire. 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 So, yes. So, um, so Claire's husband's name was John. She basically lies to about her background, right? She's trying yeah. to... Yeah. So there's this whole scene where he's kind of astounded that she is actually uh, black. It didn't feel believable. It was just a bit a bit odd to watch that unfold. I found the casting a bit... I wouldn't go as far as to say problematic, but I found it hard to suspend disbelief. Um, that's what makes it problematic. Well, I mean, Look, yeah. <laughs> the, fact, the fact of the matter is, I think there could have been lots of actresses to do it. And look... I'm looking and it says this was a $10 million film. Why couldn't you get an unknown or a couple of unknown actors to play those roles? I don't understand. I just don't understand. And maybe the issue is too, maybe Rebecca Hall wasn't the person to write this. Maybe you need to be black to get it. And I hate to say that because I'm inclined to think that anyone should be able to write anything, but I don't. All I know is that I heard that she had like a black grandfather is that no am i right 
I have no yes, idea. I don't, yes, her I don't father did pass, but that has nothing to do with anything. Look, if you, she's talking about what 1970s London, and we're going to compare that to black people passing in 1920s New York, we're really going to go there. That's Stop. It's not the same thing. Yeah. And if that's the case, I think she should write that story. I think it's interesting. So she should write about her father passing. Why not? That's something that could make sense for her. No, but what you're saying is like it's a distinctly it's a distinct phenomenon in the US at that time. So it's not just about I would say so yeah. because we have to remember in terms of hypo descent, that doesn't exist in other places. Yeah. In terms of the one drop rule for black people, that doesn't exist in other places. Yeah. That's just those are just facts. If you go to other countries and you have a black grandparent, one black grandparent and three white grandparents, you won't be black. That's just the truth. Now, I'm not saying that's not how you'll feel inside. But what I'm talking about is the broader rule, racial Mm -hmm. rules, right? The rules for racialization, how you decide who's what, how you categorize people. And the one drop rule does not exist in the UK. It didn't exist in the 70s. It doesn't exist now. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, so when she talks about her father passing, that is something very specific where, and I saw her dad, right? And I could see that. Like you could see someone might look at him and say, oh, maybe he's Turkish. Maybe he's Italian, whatever. You could get that, right? Because during that time, her father, now it sounds, I believe he is in opera. So that is a very white field. And I'm sure not coming from, whiteness that thing i don't know who sponsored him i don't know his his her father her father is a very well-known theater director okay so i'm not sure what rebecca hall's father faced in terms of hiding his you know quote-unquote true identity to make progress in his career that's not the same though as him not being able to live or being murdered or That was not a life or death situation. And in passing, it's definitely a life or death situation of passing. It's Mm -hmm. very big. And of course, I think Nella Larson pokes at some of the complications with that because that is something that happens as you get darker, as you get older. And people who pass do have that concern. Like, I look like this now, but what's going to happen? Which why it was not uncommon for them to come back when they were old. Oh, that's interesting. I thought of that. Yeah. You know, they're... There's a lot to passing. And even for Rini, like her passing was just mm-hmm. when it was convenient. So on the one hand, even though she was involved in the Negro League, she wasn't, she didn't have a problem with giving a whites only hotel her money when she was hot. <laughs> yeah. But she would never do it full time. It was just convenient. She was tired, whatever. She didn't care. So it wasn't hugely different from what Claire was doing, which she's just like, "Mm, but I want this convenience all the time. I don't want it just when I'm hot. I want it all the time. So maybe to me, that's the problem, too, is that she relied on her own personal experience Mm -hmm. and then kind of read into this story when it's like no i think you should have actually done some more research into the context well it's not a universal story that's the thing no it absolutely is not a universal story but i think also i've been annoyed that people make the similar thing like oh it's all you know you pass in all sorts of ways oh shut up that's not the same thing either passing as someone who's wealthy is not the same as passing Mm -hmm. as white in 1920s New York and people just try to equate all these things to identify and frankly I don't know why you have to have some personal experience with the story to appreciate it and to enjoy it yeah like why why is that 
a requirement. And frankly, I think it has, it kept people from asking questions. Oh, her father passed. So now we don't have to question her casting and direction choices and how she wrote this story and why. But see, this is what's interesting about it, right? Because if Rebecca Hall lived in that time, she would be black. So she should have cast someone like her or cast herself. She acts too, right? So why did she just cast herself in it? It would have been a very difficult choice to explain and argue for. How so? Because that that is the character. Because we have to remember people who were passing in today's world. You know what I need to find? There was an article written in The Guardian about this town in Ohio. And that was the issue, right? Is that the people there grew up, you know, in the 60s -hmm. and 70s as black, though they did look white. But that was because of the one drop rule. And they were very strong in their identity. They attended the church with, you know, other, let's say, typical looking black people, shall we say. And everyone recognized them as black. They recognized themselves as black and other people recognized them as black. Right. But then when their children came up who were coming up in the 90s and the early 2000s, they're just like, I'm not black. No one sees me Mm -hmm. as black. How, How can I be black? I don't look black. No one says I'm black. I'm not black. So that's, I think, the issue that would be caused by Rebecca because she's saying like, well, I'm she's white in this context, but in another context, she wouldn't be. And that says something which I think is interesting in the U.S. because it is saying something about how the one drop rule, I think, is changing. But the one drop rule doesn't affect the vast majority of us who (laughs) visibly fit what a black person should look like. So that's not an issue for the vast majority of us. But if we're talking about a tiny percentage who are part of the old way of doing things, which was only a generation ago. Yeah. So that's fascinating, even though it doesn't affect most of us. But that is just the truth. If if you had any black ancestry, mm-hmm. and that's the thing, they look like Rebecca Hall. And I also showed you the photo. Who did we talk about on the phone a few weeks ago? Oh, yes, a man. Right. Mm-hmm. And I always forget his name, but that's what I mean. Like that was something that happened then where people visually could yeah. pass and then they chose not to actually even the even better example because we should probably have situated this in the context of passing films have you ever seen imitation of life either the old or the new one no oh get it together Abla. <laughs> anyway so the original imitation of life oh, was cast by freddie washington and that is what the question she was asked during you know when the film came out like why do you not pass? Do you want to be white? Mm-hmm. She was horrified. No, I have zero interest in doing that. And that, but that was the, and that film came out during this time, right? So we're talking about the, the 30s, I believe the early thirties yeah. is when that film came out. So you see during the same, so you have people who could pass many, many people and most didn't, which I think is also interesting to look at what could keep people in that, you know, despite, you know, we're talking the height of lynching here but still saying ah, i'm not yeah. interested in joining the oppressor class even though that would personally make my life easier but i've got no interest in doing that and cutting ties relationships meaning to my life it's not worth it to me i'm not willing to pay that price um and i don't think it was just the violence that reinforced the color line i think it was people not wanting to give that up because you do have to pay a price for that yeah you see, and as ruth hall talked that. about her father paid a heavy psychological price for that so you do pay a price for mm-hmm. that so 
I think that's what she just should have done is cast herself. And if she has any siblings. Yeah, but this, again, the film wasn't made in a vacuum. And it's and maybe it highlights the hypocrisy behind it. I don't know. But imagine making a film like that in the midst of ongoing discussions about the lack of uh, opportunities for black actors, right? She is a white actress. She is known as a white actress and recognised as such. And she would have had an incredibly hard time had she cast herself in that role Despite the fact that that's the whole point of, you know, I guess, passing instead of giving the role to a black actress. Oh, wait, but no, we're going to have another problem here, though, because I am positive that both of those actors identify as biracial. They don't identify as black. How in one of them. Okay, so but if many of but if that's going to be the argument, right, that we have to get a black actor, then you have to get someone who identifies as black then. If that's the case, because then that's the criticism of having this. Well, they're not black actors. They're biracial. Yeah, but I'm putting myself in the shoes of a, of a casting director who doesn't want a backlash. So my whole thing is race is a relationship. It is not a thing. And exactly. you, can't just, you can't just group all people together. Because in the U.S. census, and of course, this is because in terms of migration from Africa and the Caribbean, that's only been like the last 50 years. So that's a new thing. And their numbers aren't that big. Their numbers are getting bigger now. But, you know, it was a trickle before and now it's a little more, but they have kids. And so that's why it's creating larger numbers. And at this point, black migrants are about 10 percent of the U.S. black population. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's where we are. So 90 percent of us are from slaves and slave masters and coercive sexual liaisons between (laughs) people of European and African descent. We'll say that. Mm -hmm. Been there for hundreds of years. And then you have 10 percent who are, you know, first, second generation migrants okay now because of that you have different relationships to capitalism and institutions and so and that and that's not just black groups that goes for groups that are categorized as hispanic latino that goes for asian americans because i hope nobody wants to say that a japanese american and an indian american are the same with that said i did find a demographic form from California community colleges that breaks it out by nationality. Now you have the option to choose the broader group or you can choose nationality, which I think is important if we want to understand the mechanisms and barriers for discrimination, because just because a group is underrepresented doesn't mean that they got there in the same way. It doesn't mean they have the same barriers or the same, obviously institutional relationships, which is my argument. Mm -hmm. Now, one of somebody who will go unnamed said that she didn't like it because her nationality was not listed and she demanded to know why. Now I said, well, I didn't create the form, but my hunch is, and I gave her the reason. I think the community college system did adopt the methodology and what they did in a specific way. And don't go changing stuff unless you have evidence to do that. So anyway, she hemmed and hawed and no, I don't like it. People won't like it if their group isn't there. And I'm just like, what? So for people whose nationality wasn't there, the region was covered, right? So you could say like South America, for example, right? But no, she got her way because she said it offended her. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we're at. You, if you have an experience with something, your experience equates to 20 years of research. (laughs) It's the same thing. So the problem is that people don't really understand race. And because people don't really understand race, Mm -hmm. they think, that it is about having a black parent or about having kinky hair or about knowing how to dance or play the drums or you can't. (laughs) I mean, no, 
That's not what we're talking about. So I think we have to get clear in that. But, you know, the fact is that there are people, Louisiana and Mississippi is where they tend to be concentrated. These Mm -hmm. very light skinned black people. And in Ohio, as I just told you, and one of those should have been recruited for this film. One of those, that sounds awful. One of (laughs) someone from that group. I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like you are. Have you read the reviews? I didn't really. I mean, you know, I might be wrong again. I've read everything, but no one's mentioned that. The thing about mentioned what the the point about the actresses, about the casting. What it just doesn't come up, and I think the critics are very uncomfortable. Just being honest about. And also they don't know, I I assume a lot of people just don't know about the phenomenon. They don't know what the reality behind it really was and what exactly passing meant at the time and who it refers to. Is that the game we're going to play in the age of Rachel Dolezal? Everyone, look, look, (laughs) look, let's stop. (laughs) Let's let's just stop this now. So we're good, because if that were the case, then Rachel Dolezal couldn't exist. It just would have been like, oh, she could be black to me. That was not the response. Uh, the response was chuckle and clearly that's a white woman that was the response when everyone looked at her and so to do that means we know what our expectation is when we see a white person yeah, but th- there's, so, we, there's that knowing the and, there's, go and there's not speaking out and there's hypocrisy I, I bet a lot of them were, thought the same thing but they wouldn't write it in a review they wouldn't pick up on that because to me it would be it was the same situation with little white lie Everyone saw she was black, but nobody wanted to say it. But that was also different because that's her personal life. That is not, she wasn't being cast in a film. Like, for example, that would be just like if she were cast in a role traditionally for a white person. Like, like, and I heard they did that. They put someone who wasn't white in Snow White. Now, I'm not saying, it's just, shouldn't you rename it then? I just thought that was weird. Anyway, but it would be like if, well, I guess that's what happens. You cast one brown and no one wants to talk about how that's weird as well. <laughs> for now, this is it. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow us and tweet us, send us comments and requests if you so wish. And have a good week.